and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show number 145. I am speaking to the wonderful Nicole Bilsma on 5G technology, and we also cover quite a few of the Lotox Clubbers' questions. Uh, one of the great things about being in the Lotox Club, uh, which you can join through Patreon and then just search Lotox Life once you're in there. Uh, is that you get to submit questions. And if there are more questions that I can get through logically in the course of a conversation with the guest, then I publish a separate video just for the clubbers um, with those FAQs. So uh, like, for example, when we had Dr. Eric Balcavage on the show a couple of weeks ago on thyroid health, we recorded a one hour follow-up just with the audience questions so that people got some real-time advice on the things that they were challenged by when it comes to the topic of the thyroid, just as an example. So today I actually managed to get a heck of a lot of those questions into the interview. So the good news is, is you guys get to hear the answers to those as well. Simple things like if I'm going to have solar panels, where do I put them? How do I position them? Um, to make sure that uh, we're not being um, radiated inside our house with uh, extra um, electrical charge, which can happen if you have uh, metal furniture, solar panels on the roof, um, color bond steel, especially if you've got Wi-Fi, it can then amplify the effects of the Wi-Fi in the indoor environment. So she answers a ton of questions on all those sorts of things. Nicole Bilsma really is uh, just an inspiration of a human. Uh, she is a woman of passion and her passion lies in environmental medicine. So she was a naturopath and an acupuncturist with 15 years of clinical experience who then decided to change her career pathway and become a building biologist when she noticed a really strong correlation with many of her clients' illnesses and the health hazards in their home. And no one was addressing this in Australia at the time. So she's also the author of a book that every home needs, Healthy Home, Healthy Family. Uh, I really do urge you to get that. Uh, even if you've got mine, mine is really um, basic lifestyle tips and recipes and inspiration and really gets you going and understanding the science of the why we need to make the changes. And then Nicole's is more specifically uh, addressing things like water damage, renovation, uh, and and things like that. So it gets a bit more technical on the home front and it's a really, really valuable resource which you can get on Booktopia or Book Depository or at your local um, bookshop or on her website which I have all the details for in the show notes as well. So um, she's been on a ton of uh, television shows, always requested for comment. She's my absolute go-to for our community when it comes to the matters of our home and, and how our home can actually help or hinder our thriving. There's a beautiful bird chirping at sunset as I record this particular uh, intro. So um, hopefully you're enjoying the sound of that little birdie in the background and not annoyed by it. He's kind of cute. Um, and, uh, and so now Nicole has 30 years experience lecturing at tertiary institutions in nutrition, Chinese medicine, and environmental medicine. She established the Australian College of Environmental Studies in 1999. And I know quite a few Lotox community members, uh, have undertaken her building biology studies, uh, and feng shui studies. So this just, I mean, 
I wish I had her brain sometimes for all of the things she knows. But the beauty of being the message spreader is that I get to bring her brain to you and her generosity of spirit and the information she so readily shares in the hope that we create a healthier, happier people and planet is inspiring. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. And I just want to remind you before we hook into that discussion that we have the wonderful Guy Lawrence, who was last week's show guest. And thank you so much for the wonderful feedback on our conversation. A lot of people seem to be a little bit more motivated to get that daily meditation happening. And uh, trust me when I say the benefits are overwhelming. So he has so kindly offered us this month Uh, a free seven-minute heart coherence meditation and a free PDF of, uh, it's kind of like a little ebook that walks you through what a great morning routine could look like to supercharge your mindset. So if you're someone who feels like from the minute you wake up, you're reacting to what everybody else needs and everything else you need to do for other people, Uh, in your life or the home, then trust me, this is going to be a really good thing for you to pop over to letitin.com.au forward slash Alex and grab those resources. Uh, They're really going to help you out and make you start the day right and get reconnected to yourself and your heart space. Um, I think it's, it's actually quite hard to put into words what that feels like when you do, but when you do, you start to realize how disconnected we are from deep within ourselves, uh, and, and what it does for us to, to, to re, uh, reawaken that inner um, energy. It's, it's, it's exciting. I I've been doing it. Uh, I think I've missed two, three days since my retreat, uh, which ended May the 2nd. Uh, and now that we're in late June, I feel pretty proud of that result. And I, uh, I really don't like it when I miss a day now and I can feel the difference, which means I'll probably kick the habit of, uh, not getting around to it every now and then as well, and definitely make it a daily commitment to myself. And it just helps everybody else. So head over to letitin.com.au forward slash Alex. And of course, you've got these details in the show notes. If you would prefer to just pop it onto lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast, click on the show tile that says Nicole Bilsmer 5G, and uh, and you'll have all the information there, as well as any other resources that uh, I shared with, um, that Nicole shared with us on the show enjoy guys. It's heavy, but it, uh, it is definitely going to help you feel like you have a better handle on this issue. Feel like you have a better way to protect yourself, your family, your home. And, uh, thanks to Nicole's, uh, webpage, we have a whole bunch of things that we can get active on, uh, about the 5g rollout. Uh, if that's something that speaks to you to, uh, uh, advocate for in your family and community. Hello, Nicole. How are you? I'm well, Alex. Thank you. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here for another chat on the podcast. We are talking sort of same subject, if you like, but going more deeply and more deeply into the latest research on 5G technology, which is causing a huge amount of celebration for one group of people and mass concern for another group of people. And, uh, and I think when it's like that, we need to have a look at how uh, the research is playing out, 
what the major concerns are. And of course, for those of us who are worried, know what we can do to drive the conversation forward in a meaningful way rather than all console each other with how terrible it is, uh, yeah. which I'm always quite um, mindful that once a community grows to a certain size, we can all feel so comforted by each other and how bad things are that we can forget to act and uh, and it's time to act on, on an issue like this. So I'm thrilled to have you back. Uh, I spoke about you extensively in the intro, so I don't think we need to go there because we've got so much to cover today. But if you could just share a little bit about... Um, your work in training building biologists specifically and how that's panning out and the work you guys are able to achieve. I know lots of low-tox students have gone on to study with you and are absolutely loving the courses. Uh, And I think that'd be a really amazing thing for people to learn more about uh, as we start today because more and more people are starting to realise that it could perhaps be their building that's preventing their progress in their health journeys and... uh, yeah, it's a big it's a big one, isn't it? It certainly is. And look, it, what's become really clear in the scientific literature is that um, the environment is probably the most important and most common trigger of many chronic illnesses, and yet it's ignored largely by clinicians because they're not trained in how the environment, air pollution, toxicity within the environment, water, air, um, in their homes, let alone electromagnetic fields, geopathic stress and... Um, uh, all of those other things can affect health. I think we've done diet really well over the last, especially 10 years. When I studied naturopathy 30 years ago, you know, it was sort of new then about diet can impact health and all diseases begin in the gut. Now we know it definitely does begin in the gut with the gut microbiome. But then we didn't have 2G when I started naturopathy and we didn't have this electropollution uh, blanketing our homes and about to blanket the entire planet. Um, so we also didn't have a lot of issues with dampness like we do now. So there's been a multitude of factors that have played a role in the last 30 years that have significantly increased our exposures to uh, mould, electromagnetic fields and toxicants in, in our homes, which, of course, we spend 90% of our time in the built environment, whether it's our workplace or our home, and it's critical. My, my work has really been dedicated to educating doctors and naturopaths and health practitioners how to diagnose and identify electromagnetics, uh, how to identify environmental sensitivities, mm-hmm. who is at risk, and um, that way we can get the ball rolling. I've also spent a lot more time in the last two years educating tradespeople. I get a lot of tradies coming in to do my mould testing course, my electromagnetic field testing course because they run the only government accredited courses in mould and EMFs and toxic and exposures in Australia, which, of course, was set up, you know, in 1999. So I run the Australian College of Environmental Studies. I created the building biology industry in Australia and over the last two decades, specifically um, educating people at the ground level to become building biologists, to educate the, the home families, Australian families, about what's actually going on mm. and why they can't make informed choices until they understand that the exposure standards for uh, chemicals and everyday products, personal care, cleaning products, building materials are not designed for human health, not for public health. They're a compromise with industry to determine what's practicable in a workplace. It's the same with electromagnetic fields. There are actually no exposure standards for long-term exposures to your cell phone, to your wireless devices, your baby monitors, your smart meters, your cell phone base stations. 
There are no standards. People don't get that. And yet our PANSA, who are our regulatory body, Australian Radiation Protection and Nuclear Safety Authority, will argue that the cell phone base station is fine to be within, you know, 100 metres of a childcare centre because it's only 1% of the standard. But they don't tell you that the standard is based on exposing a 220-pound US soldier to a cell phone who's in the fifth percentile. So he's the biggest, ruggest, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, person that doesn't represent the public mm. uh, and exposing his head to a, a cell phone to determine how far it takes to heat that, that brain before we have adverse health effects, which is in six-minute increments. <laughs> so there are no exposure standards to what's actually going on into every Australian family in workplaces and, of course, just in the country in general, let alone other Western countries. So it, for me, I realised early on that the, the change wouldn't happen from the top down, that it's about a capitalist society. I'm not anti-capitalism, but unfortunately I've become really sarcastic over the last two decades because I've seen the impact this is having on children, the incredible rise in autism and ADHD is just a pandemic in Western countries now. And it correlates beautifully with the introduction of pesticides and changes in farming it, and, of course, the introduction of 2G from 2000 onwards. So we've had this multitude, several factors occur simultaneously in the last two to three decades which has created what I can only describe as the perfect storm mm. and correlates beautifully with all the chronic illnesses and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and autism and neuro, what we call neurodegenerative disorders um, and fatiguing syndromes that we see with many of our clients with um, environmental sensitivities. So my role really has been to develop this industry in building biology and educate them how using the latest equipment to test the home for biotoxins like mould, how to educate people to reduce their allergen load, how to live in their home whilst reducing their exposures to toxic chemicals, why pesticides should never be used in a home and how to clean to reduce the allergen load. So it's and drinking water and all those other things. So it feels like I feel like I want to retire now and my <laughs> just started. We still need you. <laughs> You're not allowed to retire yet. You probably just want to go go grow veggies on a patch somewhere yes. out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. I feel like I've, I've done my thing and I need to, you know, my building biologist and my tribe is growing. And yeah, they are. On the weekend I spoke to 400 naturopaths and doctors and, you know, it's, now they're finally getting that the environment is an enormous trigger and they have to address it. It's yeah. electromagnetic fields affects all of us. Mm. Yeah, there are people who are more sensitive and develop symptoms more quickly, but we are all affected and what's about to happen with the introduction of 5G needs to be stopped until the telecommunications can, in, can confirm that it's completely safe, which, of course, they won't do uh, before it's launched and the infrastructure is in place. Mm. Gosh, you know, we're just about to jump into 5G, but I just wanted to pick up on something you said there with the rise in damp uh, and mould in inner um, buildings. I was at uh, the Al Gore Climate Reality Training, obviously, recently, and when we were there, we were looking at all of the impacts of the climate crisis, one of which, and it's interesting that you just used the uh, time window of 30 years, was that the humidity in coastal areas has gone up 5% in the last 30 years due to the climate crisis. And if you think about the impact of our indoor living environments 
taking on that increase as well, it's no wonder that mould is proliferating everywhere because if we've, got, if we've tipped over regularly into the 55, 60 and above percent humidity, it's, it's a playground for mould. It loves it. So uh, oh, I... Yeah, and I hadn't really made the link between the climate crisis and our built environments until uh, those sort of stats were started to be shared last week. And uh, and I think it's a really important one for us to realise that everything's linked and if we, if we care enough about the big picture stuff, we can affect the granular picture much more powerfully. That's an interesting one. I hadn't actually thought about the impact of climate change on increasing humidity, but fine. Right. Significant because once you hit, as you said, 60%, your dust mites proliferate. And of course, they're the number one cause of allergies in the world hay fever, eczema, congested nose, etc., asthma. Um, but you know, 30 years ago, of course, we replaced copper pipe, copper water pipes with flexible braided water hoses, which is the number one cause of water events in Australia, costing mm. companies about $320 million a year. We also deregulated the tech schools and the ta- and the um, that meant that boys didn't go to the tech schools to learn instead of high school to learn a trade over many years from very experienced lecturers. Now they get um, RPLs from TAFEs, so they're not even doing a lot of the training, especially with waterproofing. And there's multiple failures going on at the Supreme Court about new buildings that are, have these water ingress issues and mould problems within their first year of the build because the waterproofing, which complies with the Australian standard, is not adequate because the standard mm. is best practice. So it's a conundrum. You've got, you know, who do you sue? The builder, they've complied with the standard, but the standard isn't actually adequate. Mm. You know, it's applied, the waterproof membranes, people don't understand. The waterproof liquid-based membranes only last about seven, five to seven years. Now, can you imagine doing a renovation, bathroom renovation, five to seven years? Oh, my God. And if they use essential oils in that bathroom, Mm. they can compromise it to two because essential oils like eucalyptus are so effective as solvents that if you get that through the grout on the um, in the tiles, then it will, if, because it dissolves petrochemicals, which is what waterproof membranes are, it will compromise the elongation of that membrane. So there's a massive education we need to get out there to consumers mm. about how they clean their homes, that they don't increase their risk for mould, um, and also to educate uh, the building code and the master builders as to what's happening at the ground level. So we have multiple industries, systemic failures across multiple industries resulting in significant health issues and that's why I find as a building biologist I'm liaising with, you know, the builders, the architects, the plumbers, the electricians, the master builders, um, doctors, clinicians, naturopaths to try and create this bridge. I really see building biologists as the bridge between the health practitioner and the trades to try and get these patients, tricky patients with the asthma, allergies and fatiguing, to to give them um, strategies to help them live in our Western society. Mm. And in terms of the copper piping um, being changed, have they recognised that in any formal way as being the massive issue that it is and is there discussion about that changing? They've recognised that flexible braided water hoses are an issue, especially if they're imported from Asia. They are more likely to split. Um, the issue is, though, people have general normal cleaners from the supermarket like bleach and ammonia, for example, in the cupboard underneath the sink or the laundry or kitchen sink, then the, the chlorine that outgasses from bleach 
actually reacts with the moisture in the air to accelerate corrosion of the steel braid around the flexible braid board. Oh, my God. So, you know, you can't have normal cleaners in where the flexible braid, you know, those flexible braid water hoses are. So mm. this is part of our the training in building biologists. Every time you do an order, I don't care if it's EMFs or what, you have a duty of care with your knowledge to go in and educate those clients that they need to be mindful about what they're putting in into those cupboards under the sinks because that could accelerate and a water event, which of course could lead to mold-related issues. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, it's a big one, isn't it? It's huge. Uh, I always feel like I need to take massive deep breaths at really regular intervals when we chat, Nicole. (laughs) It's like, okay, that's another big one. (laughs) But we got to learn this stuff to get the fire in the belly to change this stuff. I'm a big believer in that. We can lighten up the solutions in a bit, but we need to learn first. Um, Okay, so 5G, talk to me about where we are at with this. What are your major, major concerns? All right, so let's talk about what it is. Yeah. 5G is not 5 gigahertz. It's basically what referred to as the fifth generation in mobile wireless communications, and it will give rise to what's referred to as the fourth industrial revolution or industry four, as it's referred to. It it promises greater reliability, massive connectivity, faster network speeds, better coverage and low latency, so there's no lag time, mass cloud computing and autonomous systems in order to bring give rise to um, artificial intelligence. So it will dramatically change the way we live and work and travel as everything we own and buy from our cars to appliances will contain antennas, microchips and Zigbee's that will be connected wirelessly as part of the Internet of Things. The concern I have about this is the government, Australian government established a 5G working group in 2017 involving industry bodies and telecommunications and government departments to implement the infrastructure for 5G uh, in order to become a first adopter country, if you read their reports. Mm. So they're really accelerating the infrastructure, which of course is already happening, started in the Gold Coast with the Commonwealth Games and it's, it's going through all our built environments and cities at the moment. Um, in order to provide a competitive edge, edge in terms of, um, you know, international um, uh, manufacturing, etc. The problem is there's no health experts on this committee. So, Never are. <laughs> no. So they're just launching it without proving conclusively that the radiation. Now, the radiation is different to what was what is occurring with wireless technology. Wireless technology uses radio frequency radiation which is the same as 5G, except it's much, much higher up the electromagnetic spectrum. So it's a lot, the waves are a lot shorter um, and a lot closer together. So that means that it doesn't penetrate, doesn't go very far. As a result of that, the infrastructure is required, what we call small cell base stations or small cell antennas, every 50 to 250 metres from your home Mm. So it's a massive infrastructure. It also requires around 20,000 satellites in the atmosphere, in the ionosphere, and there are grave concerns about what this will do to the terrestrial radiation that we've evolved on, i.e. the natural radiation we've evolved on is the Earth's magnetic field as a result of the sea having a lot of salt and the ionosphere and the cosmic radiation that sets up voltage in the atmosphere to create what we call the Schumann's Resonance. So we've evolved on this. Marine life use it to navigate. 
around the planet, as do bird life. And what we're doing is is introducing a man-made electromagnetic field across the entire planet. Now, as a researcher in this, how do I research this if I have no control? If there's not a place on the planet that is not going to be influenced by millimetre wave radiation, I mean, that that is a human rights issue. This, mm. is, this is a massive issue on every possible level. Um, the radiation is different to the cell phone towers that currently exist. Normally with the cell phone base station, we have radiation emitted from the antenna about 400 metres away from that. Mm-hmm. With this, we've got millimetre wave, what we call phase arrays. So basically it's like direct radiation, like microwave radiation impacting directly to communicate with your cell phone and your smart appliances. So it'll be directed straight towards these devices. Now, if you have any insects that are about a millimetre in diameter flying through these radiation, which, of course, is going to happen. Of course, yeah. um, It sets up resonance so that the insect will actually start vibrating at the same frequency as the radiation it's hitting and it will kill them instantly. Mm. Now, we already know that the bee population has declined by 70%, which has enormous implications for our food supply. So introducing a technology known that will impact insects is just an act of insanity. Yeah, that's huge. Wow. Okay, so we've got insects dying everywhere. <laughs> like I can actually, I can picture it now. Um, what, what else? So plants, there's obviously some research on plants as well. Yes, I'm not sure what the research is. I haven't looked in it. So what I've focused on is looking at, well, what research is there on its impact on human health? Yeah. Um, and this is the argument they had. There's very little data on this very high millimetre wave radiation on human health. The first thing people need to understand is this technology was developed in World War II by the US Army um, as a military weapon and for crowd control. It's still used for crowd control. In what way? Um, basically, they set up the device and then they aim this radiation towards people and because it heats up their skin it's like a microwave oven effect so it heats your body up from the inside and you within seconds you run away from it because it's mm. actually disturbing so the frequencies they use are above 90 gigahertz at the moment they're looking at introducing 5g just below 10 gigahertz but with each generation that's introduced it will go up higher and higher up to 60 gigahertz or higher For crowd control, it's using about 93 gigahertz, I understand. But the influence is similar. Mm. So their argument is there's not a lot of research. There is a bit of research about high millimetre wave radiation on, uh, for example, cataracts. Um, That's been done since the 1970s. There's been, since the 1960s, there's been a lot of research about exposing Mm. rodents to this high radiation because the eyes lack sufficient blood flow, they can't get rid of heat very quickly. So that's why we know it causes cataracts, and that's really well established in the scientific literature. The other concern is that this radiation um, affects sweat ducts. In fact, the, the sweat ducts, you've got about between two and five million sweat ducts throughout your body, on your skin, of course, 
and these act as helical antennas. So it resonates at a similar frequency to when this radiation hits. Now, we know the skin is the largest organ of the body, that it's very closely linked with the sympathetic nervous system, which has influences on central nervous system function, mental health, and of course, immune function, etc. So targeting the skin and, you know, for up to 5 million sweat ducts and having a downstream effects on the immune system it's not a good idea. No. And that's all we really do know about health effects at this stage. But the fact that they're launching this radiation and not really understanding exactly what impact it has, mm. it's just an act of insanity. It's, yeah, that's, that's really the massive alarm bell here. We, we haven't learnt from lead. We haven't learnt from mercury. We haven't learnt from BPA. We haven't learnt from parabens. We haven't learnt from any of these asbestos. I could go on. We haven't learnt that we need to very carefully decide before launching things. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's crazy. Cool. It's crazy. Yeah. The four dog defense is there's no burden of proof required on manufacturers or industry or telecommunications to prove it's safe before they launch new technology or new products in the market. I know my husband and I create the Evo cleaning product range and we know exactly the, the complete lack of regulation when it comes to uh, chemicals in products. So, you know, this is the problem. They, they first say with the, first, with the four dog defense, uh, my dog doesn't bite. My This industry, this technology won't harm people. Why? Because they don't have to prove or do any research to prove that it's safe. Mm. So it takes researchers like me decades, generations to say, yeah, asbestos causes lung disease, you know, it took 50 years. Environmental tobacco smoke took, you know, 60 years to be yeah became public legislation <laughs> so it is an act of insanity at the moment though it's interesting with cell phones the telecommunications are using the fourth dog defense which is my dog does bite and it, it can harm you but um, it's your fault because you choose to use it and I warned you ah that's the old soft drink that. chestnut yeah, yeah. so yeah. you know what with your cell phone um, we don't acknowledge there's health effects but don't put it near your person if you are concerned, don't put it near your person and we're telling you don't put it near your person, which actually means it's not fit for purpose. Yeah. It's bought, used, but it's not fit for purpose. So I'm sure there's a whole legal case we could take the telecommunications on that alone. Yeah. You buy a device that they're telling you you can't use in the way you have to use it to use that device. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's um, mental, isn't it, that, um, that, that we don't have more... Uh, more legal interest really uh, on the telecommunications front are there are there lawyers who are in the environmental space who are intrigued about this and, yes. and wanting to act okay yes. that's good you have ray broomhall i've got a link to his very interesting audio podcast on my website about how they've stopped at least 400 cell uh, small cell base stations throughout various parts of australia and he's using the criminal code as the way to stop telecommunications doing this because you're polluting your environment uh, without your um, acknowledgement, without your um, 
saying that you're allowed that you're allowed to do that you're polluting your environment with these electromagnetic fields that you've not signed to say that you want this so he's using the criminal code he can't argue the health effects because you know you need sufficient evidence to do that so the way they're addressing this is through the criminal code to say that you're blanketing your house with electromagnetic fields against your will obviously you need to prove that you had adverse health effects that you're electrically sensitive and have a doctor to be able to verify that um, and that you are harmed you, you're being harmed in the same way that you know someone's um, um, got a noisy environment, your neighbour, and they're influencing your ability to sleep, etc. So there, there is some good things happening at that front, and I have links on my website about that. You've got a five G what you can do page, don't you? I do. Yes. Yeah, great. So we'll be linking that in the show notes for everybody to uh, get uh, the resources they need. Um, but okay, can we just go back to the insect uh, example you gave? This <laughs> is just blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so these little tiny one millimeter insects are being affected is how is that not enough for a precautionary principle to be triggered for anyone who's not watching us on video nicole just threw her hands up in the air <laughs> oh my god this is why i've become so sarcastic in the mm. last few days it's just yeah. the more because once you know you can't unknow this mm. So it's, that's why the urgency, you know, which is great to see with the work you're doing, getting out to the public on a larger scale, me educating my building biologists who then go out and educate people. But this is the only way it's going to happen. It's it just incredulous that this is even happening. Yeah, we, we, we really fight. shouldn't even have to fight for public safety. I mean, that is ridiculous. Public health is a misnomer. It yeah. really is. I mean, apart from improving, you know, sewage and tobacco smoke policies, there's not a lot in public health uh, and getting rid of lead and petrol, of course. That, they have been big ones. But what's actually going on in the electro smog that's allowed in our home, et cetera, not educating clients that when they buy those routers, they're essentially stopping their kids from sleeping. Mm. That These wireless devices have never been tested for their impact on human health and there's a large literature, scientific literature, about adverse health effects of the existing wireless technology and why it's now possibly carcinogenic to humans, even by the World Health Organization stand to acknowledge that in 2011. So we're trying to educate clients, well, I know you're concerned about the cell phone base station outside of your house 200 metres away, but the reality is your router is emitting high levels, pumping out 200,000 times more levels of radiation than the cell phone base station simply because it's closer to you. Mm. So we need to educate you that having wireless devices in the house is not a good idea, that if you're going to use them, turn them off at night because they suppress melatonin, they increase the permeability of the blood-brain barrier to mould that may be already in your body or the chemicals already in your body. Um, so we educate them how to use technology and reduce their exposures to this radiation that we know is possibly carcinogenic. Mm. And uh, it's, I mean, there are, there are so many things we can do, which I think is really, really important one. There's a, a lot of confusion for homeowners and people who are renovating, um, people who are greenies, who are wanting to move to renewables uh, around uh, solar, uh, even furniture choices, like if you've got a metal bookcase, you know, because for me as a mouldy um, recovering, uh, I just love metal because you, just the idea that you could just wipe it down and, you know, it's not porous. 
in the way the plastics or woods are um, makes me feel more comfortable. But then I think of an EMF, um, you know, like ramification and conductivity. So I would love to talk now a bit about conductivity in the home and when people are deciding to maybe switch to a colour bond or aluminum siding, how we need to then think about the internet we use in our home and the impact, um, same with solar and same with um, any metal beds or furnishings or even springs in mattresses. Can we have a bit of a, an overview of, of that sort of set of decision-making that happens for so many people? Oh, okay. There are two things that will are used in shielding materials that are effective at attenuating, reducing exposures to radio frequencies. So, First, with electromagnetic fields, there are three fields in your home, four, that affect that can impact human health. Um, magnetic fields, which are possibly carcinogenic, they're the ones that draw current. So you want to make sure that you're not sleeping near the other side of the wall where there's a motor like a fridge, an inverter, a smart meter, anything like a digital clock radio within 30 centimetres of your head. You want a distance. So that's the first thing. You can't shield against magnetic fields. So if you have a smart mm. meter... You can put paint on the wall and the carbon or the metal ions in that paint will reflect the RF, the radio frequencies, but it won't shield the magnetic field. So you still need to have at least a metre and a half distance from the smart meter and shield the RF component. So this is where it's a little bit complicated. Mm. However, the science of reducing exposures to electromagnetic fields is really simple and it's the inverse square law. As you double the distance away from the source, you effectively reduce your exposure by 75%. So that's what's important. Wherever you've got wireless devices, routers, cordless phones, etc., your best options are to go hardwired so there's no radio frequencies at all. But if that's not viable, then you want a distance between that source and you. So the first thing we do as building biologists is we go in and go, okay, where do you spend time in this house? And let's create safe environments within a couple of metres of that space. What's your favourite couch? Where do you actually sleep? Um, Where do you prepare your food at home, et cetera? And how can we create those little zones to reduce your exposure to high levels of magnetic fields, radio frequencies, et cetera? So that's important because we're all exposed to electromagnetic fields when we walk past a smart meter, but those transient exposures are unlikely to cause any harm. The research from the Russians that they published their research, or the Germans published, uh, translated their research two years ago, and the research was looking at all the electrical workers in, in Russia who have to be regularly tested between 1960 and 1997. And they found that transient exposures to electromagnetic fields for 20 minutes or less per day had no impact. Wow. 20 minutes a day. If you're exposed for two hours or more per day, within five years you, you start developing symptoms. And depending on your ge- genetic constitution, maybe before that, maybe even after that, depending on which percentile you're at. So... The thing is, the average child, based on the latest report in the government, is spending at least three hours a day on digital devices, so we're already past that, Um, and that's why we need to to reduce our exposures. So it's important to understand the inverse square law. That means buying plug-ins, you know, Blue Shield, GeoCleanse, discs for your phone, if it doesn't create a distance between you and the source, it won't make any difference to our readings. So please don't go panic and start buying a whole lot of products 
that actually don't make any difference to our electromagnetic field readings. When you talk to the manufacturer, oh, yes, we acknowledge it doesn't make any difference to the electromagnetic fields, but it enhances your ability to deal with it. What the hell bullshit is that? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like maybe it does work. I mean, one says it's scalar technology, but they can't explain what scalar is. They can't provide biomarkers that have changed and therefore, if you can't verify it or test it, how can I, as an authority on this, recommend this to my clients? Mm. I can't. So please don't go and buy a whole lot of stuff that gives you a false sense of security so you actually use your devices right next to you because I can tell you that that will probably impact your health. Mm. Maybe down the track these devices are doing something that do help human health, but until we can verify what that is, I cannot endorse that. Mm. The things that do work apart from distance is shielding, textiles and um, so, for example, clothing and in your curtains you can have and metal, which you mentioned. Mm. So having metal between you and the source will reduce your exposures to the wireless or radio frequencies. won't make a difference to magnetic fields, but it will to RF. Where does RF come from outside? Well, it's cell phone base stations. It will be 5G coming in. Now, the interesting thing is the age of your house is critical. So if you have a new home, you're going to have that metal foil in your walls. That will help to reflect some of those frequencies. How efficiently it does, it will depend on how thick that, that water vapour, the vapour membrane is. So it's hard to determine, but it will reflect some of it. Having metal blinds that are closed at night, that mm-hmm. should reflect some, probably not very, depending on the thickness. The thicker it is, the better. Having metal fly screen will reflect some as well. So, um, But it won't get rid of it altogether. And the extent it does that will be impossible to determine without a metre. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the metres we use, you know, are about 6000 for two metres that we use because they're... Um, $6,000. Yeah. Wow. So we use two equipment from Gigahertz Solutions in Germany that have antennas and omnidirectional meters. They are complicated to use. We spend 250 hours in the building biology course training people how to use this device and how the materials around the house can influence it so they even know where to point it. Mm. Um, I'm about to become the distributor for a um, equipment that the public can use that is accurate and it provides a traffic light uh, response so green light orange light red light and it's accurate but it doesn't um this smaller device doesn't give you a reading but it is accurate so you can say when you turn it on you just switch it on and once you give it a few seconds to acclimatize is this within you know 10 microwatts mm. yes it's green fantastic that's all you need to know if it isn't start switching your, your equipment off until you get to the green light yeah yeah so i that- feel like um i feel like what you've just shared there um in your example of the quality of the tools you're using and uh, how expensive they are versus someone just kind of buying a $100 Amazon version and thinking they're going to be good is almost like, um, you know, do you go see your building biologist, get them to come into your home and do a full assessment uh, or do you just try and um, ad hoc sort it out yourself? It's almost like um, us self-diagnosing and buying all our pills on iHerb. Um, <laughs> Yes. without any kind of practitioner support. 
Um, yes. And look, I'm, I'm a big fan of iHerb. They have some brands that are, are really, really top notch that we can't get here. But I work with a practitioner to decide which ones I'm going to be getting. Um, and it feels like building biology is very much um, at risk of becoming a similar, oh, yeah, no, I've got all my own meters. And I bet, you know, you haven't spent 250 hours interpreting results like a biomed doctor would of pathology tests, for example. You know, it's. Exactly. Yeah. That is when you buy cheap equipment, you completely undervalue what you're exposed to. Mm. You don't know where to put it. You don't know how to set up low power versus normal or high power to reflect worst case scenarios. So you put it on going, oh, yeah, it's cool. But you didn't realise that current is drawn through how to increase and maximise worst case scenario from a smart meter. You have to do a few things around the house to determine in the middle of the night at 2 o'clock in the morning when you didn't test what's actually going to happen to those people sleeping in that space. Mm. Or, you know, if they're near high voltage transmission lines, when's the best time to test, depending on the current coming through? Or with wireless technology that, you know, you go, okay, I've got a router, it's dual band, I can turn it off. Well, no, they don't turn off. The new modems don't turn off. They have both um, 2.4 gigahertz and 5.1, and the cheap meters don't go up that high. So they won't even pick it up. Mm. So, and because if you're not checking in, that meter isn't checking in fractions of a second, it'll never get the peak values, which is what we use to compare to our building biology standards. Mm. So people go, I bought an EMF meter and I'll go, well, what frequency are you testing and which field are you testing? And they go, what do you mean? Oh, my God, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Are yeah. you doing AC electric fields? Are you doing AC magnetic fields? Have you, if you're going to do body voltage, have you earthed it before you actually, because if you touch the meter, you've already influenced it. Yeah. Um, my frequencies, what is the frequency range? Did you do omnidirectional readings or did you do directional readings? Because they're very different. Mm. You know, so antennas we use to determine the source if we can't see it. The most important tool a building biologist acquires in the advanced deployment is the knowledge. Yeah. Before they pick up their tool, they have a hypothesis as to what the hazard is, as to where it's coming from, as to its impact on human health, before they pick up their instruments to verify their hypothesis. So the instruments are the least important. Yeah, they're important for EMF testing, but when you do a site inspection, you already know from experience that's going to be coming out that far, that's coming out this far, etc. It's a yeah. thing you don't see that you're going to verify with your tools. But more importantly... If you start, the problem we found is because people are getting more of an awareness of EMFs, they're calling these shielding companies and they're charging tens of thousands of dollars to shield their house when, in fact, $1,000 would have been sufficient with curtains in this area. Mm. It's overspending. Now they've got a huge problem because they've blocked their exposure to the natural terrestrial radiation and they're sicker. Mm. Um, if you're building, you know, if the people who are testing the home should not be the ones giving you the solutions with shielding because that is a massive conflict of interest and we find it's far cheaper for people to get a building biologist to test their home and give them recommendations on shielding and then get a shielding company to follow the building biologist recommendations. Yeah. If someone who does a free EMF audit who has no freaking idea, no formal qualifications. Just to sell a product. To sell yeah. thousands of dollars of stuff you don't need. That's expensive. Mm. So, you know, we've got these people going, oh, you know, vital, etc. going in and telling people to buy mattresses and do all the shielding that they don't need that they can't afford and it's actually not actually helping their health outcomes so it's really important to have someone independent to come in and assess 
The first port of call for me is get my book. It's the cheapest $40 you'll ever spend because most yeah. of the time they can reduce their exposures just on reading the book to educate them, okay, turn this off, turn it off at the PowerPoint, etc. Then if they, as a result of reading the book, they go, oh, wait a minute, we've got a smart meter, we can't get out of that room, there's no more spare bedrooms, then, you know, a building biologist will be warranted. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, as you were talking there and saving the thousands, another analogy popped up, which was like, you guys are like investing in a good accountant that ends up saving you far more than you would have had to spend if you'd tried to usher through it all yourselves. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, you know, just these shitty devices cost four or five hundred dollars and the clients don't even know what they're doing. (laughs) They don't know what they're testing. They don't know what to look for. So when they get these readings, they ring us and go, what does that mean? I go, oh, I don't know what it means until I am in your home, in your context. Mm. So that's the thing. You know, the $500 is well spent to get it assessed properly. Um, as I said, most of the time it's internal sources that are creating the high levels of exposure. Mm. Of course, with 5G and cell phone base stations, you don't have a choice. For me, the trigger is that I educate my clinicians about is if your patient can see a cell phone base station from within their house through a window, then there's a chance it's probably influencing them in some way. Um, depending on their house, if they've got if it's new and there's vapor barriers and they've got metal roofs and metal um, on their windows, you know, metal blinds, they'll probably reflect most of it. The issue there is if they've got wireless inside their home all that metal around in their built environment is going to reflect all their RF back in. So what they're doing is the very things they've brought into their home, they're exposing themselves to high levels of radiation from their own behaviour. Could could this be why I went to um, a house that I had stayed at before many times and been fine um, and then a colourbond steel roof went on and then I had huge heart palpitations could that be potentially a reason why? If there's internal sources. Yes, internal Wi-Fi, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that radiation goes up onto the surface, reflects back down onto that metal roof and comes back in. Mm. So you can create hot spots within that house. Yeah. So metal can be used to reflect external sources, but it can also, it will uh, reflect internal sources. So the more metal in your house, the less you should have any wireless technologies because you're creating like this microwave oven bouncing effect all over the house. So that's not good. Mm. So as with everything, there are advantages and there are disadvantages. And that's why in in electromagnetic field testing course, they have to do building materials as a subject to understand the influence that the built environment can have on the electrosmog within their home. Mm. So that's a really great question then next as to how we can, uh, because I feel like a lot of people are still really hazy on uh, hard wiring. And I even just got a question the other day that I'd love you to answer. Um, so we hear it from the horse's mouth about, is there any way to hardwire these guys, our phones, um, and, uh, and, and how we navigate that? Because I really... I mean, it just makes sense that we would want to reflect quite a bit away. And that seems like such a useful tool to do um, a bit of metal around the place through our curtains and, and roofs. But um, but we definitely don't want a compounding issue inside by doing this one good thing, right? So talk to us a little bit about some of the steps we can take there. Okay. So cell phones are the best place to start because they're, they're on your person. Yeah. Fitbits, cell phones... Um, they're designed to be on your person. So it means that you're in the near field. 
When it comes to wireless technology, they emit radio frequencies. And within four wavelengths, it's called the near field. Now, from my experience, my limited experience as a building biologist dealing with clients with um, electrical sensitivity issues, is that the closer they are to the near field, the worse the biological effects, the quicker they're likely to develop electromagnetic sensitivities, heart palpitations, um, headaches, a common sleep disturbances, fibromyalgic symptoms, fast heart rate, low heart rate, you know, changes in the heart because it acts on what we call voltage-gated calcium channels on yeah. the cells in the heart, the testicles and the brain. That's what Martin Paul's research has shown. So when it comes to a cell phone, you, it's, it's again the inverse square law don't put it near your person you need to have an ear tube earpiece or text or use loudspeaker put it on the um, desk and then put an ear tube or just talk to it through the loudspeaker that way never put it near your head because you know if you use it for 30 minutes a day on one side of the head for a minimum of 10 years the incidence of brain tumors like glioma and acoustic neuroma increase 200 percent so you don't want to do that Distance is the key. Also, turn off Bluetooth, turn off mobile data because it's emitting RF all the time. So if you have it just on your desk or in your bedroom, it's constantly tuning into the nearest cell tower. It shouldn't be. It's an RF device. It should not be in your bedroom when you're trying to sleep because it suppresses melatonin, mm. which means that your ability to sleep is compromised. Your circadian rhythms are stuffed. It affects infertility, blah, 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 blah. So when it comes to having it on your person like males, they can have shielding pouches, mm -hmm. um, which is the metal flex or carbon within the textile, and that works. The mm. problem is it's so effective that you can't make a receive call, which mm -hmm. is annoying for some people. So, you know, you can get pouches where it's shielded on one side so the, side, the radiation comes towards the phone and it doesn't go through to your hips and reproductive organs. That's useful. But you have to take it in and out of the pouch all the time. So, so that's useful. But oh, that's really important that you don't put your cell phone near your person, near your um, reproductive organs, especially trades where they're putting it in their pockets, near their heart, in their bras. You know, there's certainly a few studies coming out now of unusual breast cancers associated with cell phones being um, stored within their bra. I mean, that's just dumb. Mm. So that's the big one that they really need to reduce their exposures um, shielding, as I said, is the only other option. So it's once you know where it's coming from, then you would use uh, textiles. We use Y-Shield is probably the best um, uh, quality products that we have. And it's normally because it's got carbon in it or it's because it's got uh, metal um, ions like um, copper or silver is normally what is used. Yeah. But that's a last resort. Shielding to me, a house with paint or textiles or curtains is a last resort. But there is a place for it. People who are highly electrically sensitive, who can't get out of an inner city area where they're bathed in it, a bed canopy can be their best option. Uh, it's expensive. It's about 2000 but it gives them the opportunity to sleep. You just need to make sure that you shield underneath it if they're in a multi-storey apartment. So you find a lot of building biologists as they get through our course that they stop living in multi-storey apartments because they're hard to control. Mm. You know, and they start moving out to the, the burbs and to the rural areas. Mm, interesting. And um, so in terms of solar then, what, what are there any things that we need to be aware of when we're considering solar panels? Yes. Everyone I'm with electrical sensitivity who puts solar or walks into a house with solar, they can't live there. And the reason why is because 
when you convert DC sun energy to AC electric energy, it creates a huge amount of dirty power. Now, mm. dirty power is a unique form of electromagnetic field that I haven't spoken about in this podcast, yep. which is um, which goes from 50 hertz, which is what we use in our building wiring and appliances, to um, high radio frequencies and fractions of a second. So it's doing this all the time. People with electrical sensitivity react to it. The problem is many of your smart devices that contain these antennas they emit high levels of dirty electricity and they ride on the electric field. So you've got building wiring, your home and appliances, and the electric field comes out about 1.2 metres from the wiring in your wall. Most of us don't react to this. The problem is the new smart, the more smart metres that come on, the more inverters that are used in solar, um, that are used in the house, the more you've got this dirty electricity riding 1.2 metres out of the wall where the where the wiring is mm. and these people react to that so you walk into their house to do an assessment and their bed is in the middle of the room intuitively they can't sleep anywhere else and you realize it's 1.2 meters away from the electric field oh so, wow uh, this is why uh you can have solar panels the thing is you need to use coaxial shielded cabling so you need cabling that has metal within it to cancel out the electric field and make sure it's earthed properly. You need a specialist electrician to use this special shielding that's seven times more expensive than normal conventional TPS wiring and it needs to be earthed. So if you use this shielding throughout the whole solar system, then that won't happen in terms of dirty power. So it can be done, but it's not often done because clients have no idea. They're wanting to be more green, which is great, but unfortunately that increases electrosmog for many people with sensitivity so that's one reason why I don't have photovoltaics. Interesting um, and I guess you know at least a medium-term solution is to go through an energy provider like PowerShop where you can get a hundred percent green energy. Um, it's, it's not a sponsored plug by the way it's just they're one of the guys doing it and um, and that way you can take control of what you want for your environment but not um, be negatively impacted. Or maybe you just can't afford the seven times the price of the specialist electrician and the, um, and the stuff you need to make the solar um, 100% safe for you. So um, you, meant, you keep mentioning some people. So some people are okay and it, it tends to be, um, as you sort of said earlier, the genetic predisposition to being more sensitive. Yes, yeah, so I published a, a um, paper last year uh, interviewing the top 17 environmental doctors in Australia and New Zealand to see how they deal with patients with chronic fatigue syndrome and kids with autism, et cetera, with chronic illnesses. And what we established was a, a typical person who's likely to be susceptible to this, and they have a history of allergies. So anyone with asthma and allergies are more susceptible to environmental sensitivities, mould, EMFs and chemicals. Mm. That's the first one, which is 20% of the population. Yeah. The second one with electromagnetic fields is they have metal in their body. If they have titanium implants or surgical steel wires, that acts as an antenna to EMFs. Um, if they have uh, titanium and surgical steel in any form, it sets up galvan galvanic corrosion and a battery effect which makes them accelerates the corrosion of the metal. And, of course, metal is an antenna for EMFs, but metal, toxic metals are antibacterial. So the gut microbiome is stuffed, for one better mm. word, and they're susceptible to EMFs. 
Um, so that's a huge problem. Any metal in the body. Of course, children, the elderly, the immunocompromised are very susceptible because they're going through critical windows of development. So we don't know what impact this radiation we're about to blanket the entire planet with is going to have on the generation from the cradle to the grave. It's never been done. Mm. So what we're doing is going, okay, let's expose the entire planet to this radiation and use it as a, a guinea, use them as guinea pigs for this mass experiment because we've never exposed humans to this from the beginning to the end to see what impact it has. I mean, that's just active lunacy. Yeah. This is why Belgium and Brussels, in Belgium, the um, environmental minister was the first major city in the world to halt 5G deployment on the basis that they weren't going to use their citizens as guinea pigs. And this is what any politician who gives a shit about its um, um, electorate constituents, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Whew, so, so, so true. Ah, it's so frustrating. Um, Okay, I'm like, yeah, I mean, we've all signed the petitions. We are definitely there on that front and I think uh, connecting to your further resources on what we can do next is going to be critical in this fight because we have to start learning the precautionary principle. I mean, it is just crazy that in 2019 we still have to fight for things to be proven safe before they their blanket rolled out across the planet yes. blows my mind um okay uh another couple of questions i've had over um in in uh the lead up to people knowing you were coming back on the show they're like can you ask this can you ask this so does the nbn box for the australians who um are so unfortunate as to have been uh, rolled out with the NBN, uh, does it produce radiation and how do we try and mitigate that if it does? All right, so the NBN has several types, fibre to the node, which is a fibre running to a mini exchange or node near the home office, which is then mm-hmm. connected from that point to the property through copper line. Um, then you have fibre to the curb. Generally, it doesn't. It depends on the modem you attach to that connection. Gotcha. If the modem to that connection is wireless enabled, then of course it's going to emit. It's just a, another wireless device emitting high levels of radio frequencies in the house. Mm. <laughs> so you want ideally a modem that is the wireless can be turned off or at least powered down uh, in order to create connectivity or even better hardwired. So it's about the modem that's attached to that uh, connection and making sure that it's not wireless. Uh, if it is wireless, it's powered down, that it only services a small area. Ideally, that it's not in your bedroom, of course, because then, of course, suppresses sleep, affects fertility, circadian rhythms, etc. So of itself, that connection isn't the source of wireless. It's the, what's actually connected to that node. Gotcha. So if we're turning that off at night, that's the main thing to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, it can emit dirty electricity and everything as well. So you've got that issue with sensitivities. But generally, it's what you, the modem. So most time people just accept the modem that the power company's given them. Mm-hmm. They really need to, you know, be more mindful about, you know, making sure that that is either a hardwired connection from the modem to the rest of the device in the house or at least attenuating and reducing the level of radiation from that um, by powering it down. Mm. And for the people who are uh, like so addicted to their tech uh, and often there's resistance from teenagers, there's resistance from partners, there's usually one person in the house that's flying the flag for reducing EMFs and uh, everyone else is like, oh, God, here they go again 
with their hippie kind of BS and, and trying to make us all do things we don't want to do. How do we get through to people that the unsexiness of an Ethernet cable is actually really, really worth it? Like what is your number one um, truth bomb that you would recommend people used? Well, the thing is, I would say, look, 31st of May 2011, the International Agency for Research on Cancer classified radio frequencies used in wireless devices as possibly carcinogenic to humans. They're now looking at saying it's a group 2A, which is probably carcinogenic to humans. There's so much evidence of its impact. We know exactly how this technology affects the cellular membrane through these voltage-gated calcium channels. And that's why my book, it provides the evidence. There's mm. hundreds of references. I mean, we already know this. Yeah. Um, the consumers need to understand that just because they buy it from the shop doesn't mean it's been tested and it doesn't mean it's safe. So they need to understand that even the uh, World Health Organization acknowledges that it's probably carcinogenic to humans because they can't ignore the weight of evidence that has come out on the impact on a cellular level and its risk to brain tumours and childhood leukaemia and infertility and neurodevelopmental disorders. I mean, that's a given. And my book really just provides that data. I mean, anyone who's really interested, they need to read that chapter of the book because the data is there where I talk about the complexities of EMFs and how it affects human health. But it's there and there are the references. Yeah, and it, it's such a good book, which is also going to be in the show notes today. I know most people listening have already grabbed a copy uh, because it's oh, talked about. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's talked about often. It's referenced. Oh, no, go to page 30 where she talks about this. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, and can people overseas buy it? Is it available on Amazon or anything? Book depository. Book depository, fantastic. That, that ships all over the world. Great. Um, now, another couple of audience questions. Uh, someone has asked if they see Telstra XYZ, you know, name of a modem slash 5G when they search for a Wi-Fi on the phone, does that mean the neighbour's modems are emitting 5G waves? Probably. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. You don't want that's, – that's a good point – don't buy a phone that's 5G enabled because there's far more antennas in that phone than the conventional 2G, 3G, 4G. So your level of exposure to radiation is increased significantly from that phone alone. Mm. You don't want a 5G-based phone because there's more antennas in it emitting more RF to communicate with the cell phone tower that's going to be coming into your street. Mm-hmm. Unless we group as citizens and go, no, halt this until we can determine what impact it has on human health. Yeah, and that's what we're going to do. Um, next question is um, that one parent is really concerned about Wi-Fi in general and how to protect kids at school. Um, Wi-Fi routers are being placed slap bang in the middle of nearly every classroom in this particular school um, that she's worried about um, and iPads are being used, Wi-Fi connected, um, and they're becoming more and more a part of the curriculum. Uh, how, as a parent in a school community, would you recommend that she starts that conversation and makes it bigger? Well, one of my building biologists actually started a website called hockthewifi.com, and it provides a letter specifically drafted to give to your um, principal and to the school to educate them about what's actually going on. So Fantastic. I would suggest they um, 
they download that, go to, what is it, HOC, H-O-C, the, T-H-E-W-I-F-I dot com. Read the research, how to request that your school address this, uh, news and articles and the letter specific for them. It's really professionally well done. This is by Susan Ryan, who is one of my graduates, and it's really well done. There's also a couple other uh, Wi-Fi in Australia, etc. Facebook pages that you can go to talking about adverse health effects. And I was interviewed on television in relation to wireless technology in schools and um, its impact on health. So there's a lot on my personal website, buildingbiology.com.au. But Hock the Wi-Fi is a great place to start. Already got letters. I think it's $10 or whatever to download it because of the research she's done and to give it to your schools to educate them about what impact it could have and what options should be um, considered. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Thanks for that. Uh, and uh, here we have a uh, question from someone whose husband works in the telco industry. And from their point of view, most of the research is discredited on EMFs. He says it's the most research thing on the planet and there's no credible research with evidence that there is anything harmful. I often point out why is there a safe limit then uh, like arsenic or poisoning have a safe limit too, but you don't see me using them. I'd love some credible research to show him. So, I mean, I know we're going to be um, pointed straight back to your book here. Uh, and this is a tricky one because I remember in the climate reality training, a, a quote went up on the board um, and obviously we were training in the context of coal and a movement to uh, renewables. The quote was, um, he will believe or she will believe what their salary depends on them believing. And I think often when... Upton Sinclair. Yeah, there you go. Upton Sinclair in my book. Yeah. That, um, oh, God, I can't remember the exact words I used, but basically quoted him that people, their salary, it's dependent on their salary, not knowing, you know what I mean? Yes, um, exactly, exactly. So... How do we um, dismantle that? I mean, it's a very, it's obviously when it's your partner, it's a very emotional um, relationship. And I think it's a really important thing that we, you know, how do we uh, start to help them see that perhaps it's their industry that's brainwashed them to a certain extent to believe that? Well, my husband was incredibly critical of my work, you know. Was he? Yeah starting the college and why are you wasting your time? And, yeah, I, in fact, I have him to think, love him to bits, but I have him to thank because he said, well, where's the evidence? So I spent 20 years gathering the evidence. <laughs> to, to save people and your marriage. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, this is really a shit. We have wireless at home that's turned off all the time, but, you know, we fight about that. That's the compromise that, you know, when they are on their iPads, it's on temporarily and then it's turned off like, in my house, I'm the healthy yeah. girl next door. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I get it. I hear what she's saying. But there are people who, you know, this attitude is what kept asbestos and lead paint. And it's critical if there's any evidence to show that it's harmful. And there's so much evidence, which means it just tells me he's not even read it or probably even looked. So I always, when I'm talking to people who are sceptical, is going, where's the evidence compl- to show that it's safe? You show me that first. Because mm. I know you can't because I've mm. already researched this. I'm doing my PhD on it. Um, so, you know, don't you're not the one who should be fighting this. You just say, all right, prove to me it's safe. Show me the evidence it's safe. And he won't find that. 
You no. won't find if you look some PubMed. Yeah. Can't. There's thousands of it. I mean, look at the Orsa database, who are a group of amazing researchers in Australia, Victor Leach, pre-Pandera, Steve Weller, etc., um, collecting thousands and thousands of studies and creating systematic reviews about its impact. We know how it affects the body at a cellular level. We know it's strongly correlated with brain tumours. That's, in fact, the $25 million that the US National Toxicology Program spent, you know, a couple of years ago to prove that it doesn't cause harm effects, they broke their silence. And as the results came out, they released their studies early to say, oh, my God, it does cause schwannomas in male rats. You know, we are concerned. We we designed it to prove it didn't cause problems. It does, and we need to act. And then, of course, the Ramazzini Institute in Italy a year later produced their study on 3,000 rats going, yeah, it, it causes brain tumours. You know, Leonard Hardell has been saying this for decades. When you can replicate the study in a different country with a different bunch of scientists, that's when you've got a serious red flag. Yeah, mm. you do. So, I mean... Human health, surely, if there's any evidence that it can cause harm, we need to act. So this ridiculous notion that, you know, wait till the evidence is conclusive that, yes, it causes all these cancers, well, we're already there. (laughs) We're already there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's about capitalism. It's about dividends for shareholders at the cost of human health. It's about apathy. That's, in the end, my summary of the last two decades of finding this. Yeah. (laughs) That's why. (laughs) I find it amazing that you can still giggle. (laughs) Good on you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what to say, but that's why I'm excited when, you know, people like you come on board and they're part of the tribe to educate people because to me in the end my my message is I want people to be able to make an informed choice. Mm -hmm. Currently they can't do that without being educated. Yeah, that's right. If they continue to use their wireless technologies in their house, so be it, but at least they know. I dye my hair, I know the risks, it's an informed choice. Mm. I get in my car, I know it's a coffin on wheels, it's an informed choice. I know <laughs> coffin on yeah. wheels. <laughs> yeah, as my husband would say, it was an ex-cop, so a lot of people dying in cars that he yep. saw. But, you yep. know, I know I would wear lipstick maybe twice a year at an event, I know the risk, I'm willing to take it, but I know I'm making an informed choice. Most people out there don't make informed choices because they don't understand how the system works. Mm. Um, well, our people make informed choices and with the kinds of questions that they send in, you know that they're wanting to gather their evidence so that they can make that informed choice even better. Uh, this one's for parents of teens um, or maybe our millennial listeners. AirPods, yay or nay? The little, the little um, uh, Bluetooth wireless. Um, Bluetooth disaster. I mean, yeah. the level of radiation, radio frequencies, connecting between the device and the cell phone is high. Mm, very high. high. It presses melatonin. In a child, it goes through towards most of the brain. It acts on voltage-gated calcium channels in the brain. It increases permeability of the blood-brain barrier. So if you look at that child having this toxic load that they're born with and then adding, oh, they're in a damp house, that's the perfect storm. Yeah. And I think it's um, it's so important for us to uh, really unite on things like that. Something as simple as an AirPod that so many kids are wearing. You see them all lined up at the train stations and the bus stops with their little AirPods listening to music and, and, um, and doing whatever else. And, uh, and I think if we can connect to their goals in life, what they want to be good at, 
how they want to feel when they sit down to an exam paper. Do they want to feel like their brain can switch on and do that work? Yeah. Or do they want to feel fuzzy and really relate it to maybe their sports performance or whatever turns your kid on about what they want to achieve in life right now for them and work with that as your goal to get them away from these things and back onto the quote unquote daggier um, wired options because it's, I mean, it's a no brainer really. And, uh, and often we know they're bad and often the teenager might even accept that they're bad, but then there's the peer pressure aspect. So we need a pretty powerful argument to help them realize they need to transition off them. Absolutely. And look, for me, one of the symptoms of electrical sensitivity showing that it impacts the brain is dyslexia. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Adults I meet who become dyslexic as a result of their exposures to EMFs. And don't forget, it's insidious. Remember, I said two or more hours a day for five to 10 years. That's the Russian research showing slow degradation in central nervous system, dyslexia, because it affects their myelin sheep Mm -hmm. um, and it affects their ability to read. So they can read something a million times the same page and it's not going in. That's Mm -hmm. often the sign of sleep disturbances, headaches, fatigue. I mean, it's not. Unfortunately, because it's not cause and effect, it's not happening straight away that they yeah. get my brain, although 3% will. Um, that's the problem. It's insidious, which makes it far more dangerous. It's like the difference in um, cosmetics and, pers- and cleaning products between lung and skin irritants and endocrine disruptors. And the lung and skin irritants tend to be much more... Um, quick to be realized as uh, negative impacting because it hits you here or you breathe it in and something happens and it's acute and it's immediate and it's easy for people to understand. But, you know, insidious exposure to your parabens and phenoxyethanols of the world where little tiny things are happening for decades, it's much harder to, to get people on board with that. Yes. That's mm. why testing can be useful. Just yeah. Yeah results unfortunately electromagnetic fields it's you know what do you test in the body it's difficult um professor dominic bellpoem who's the leading research in chronic fatigue syndrome and electrical sensitivity he's created markers that he's found high levels of histamine in the body is very common because it degranulates mast cells which is an allergic response which is interesting that people with allergies are more sensitive mm. um, drops in mal- urinary melatonin for example heart rate variability Interesting thing with my research is the, I'm trying to get a device that people can wear overnight to measure their heart rate, but they're all Bluetooth enabled. So the radio frequency <laughs> that's measuring the heart rate is influencing their heart rate. <laughs> it's an uh, insanity. Yeah, so wow. Be healthy, but you're exposing yourself to something that's possibly carcinogenic to humans according to the World Health Organization. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. So how does that mean you actually have to try and design something that's going to be able to be used for your research? Well, I'm looking at, I've sort of been spending six months trying to find advice. I think I've found one. I've just got to test it now. Yeah. You know, they say, oh, no, you can turn off the Bluetooth. The big problem with heart rate variability is most of it's designed for an hour or half an hour of a gym workout, not a sleep period. Mm. So I'm doing what's called the baby monitor study, putting a baby monitor under the bed of a healthy couple I'm finding it hard to find healthy couples who sleep at the moment. So if anyone in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne wants to be recruited as part of my study who actually sleeps. Wow. I mean, how crazy is that? Normally researchers are looking for just the couple of people who are having difficulty sleeping and now it's the inverse, like just a couple of decades later. Parliamentary inquiry last year into sleep, 40% of adults don't sleep well. 
40% of Australian adults. And it's interesting, it correlates with the introduction of 2G onwards because, of course, we know that's one thing we know about wireless technology. It affects melatonin and sleep. Mm. And they're using these digital devices. The blue light suppresses melatonin. So it's critical. That's one thing I didn't mention. It's critical. You Kids especially do not use digital devices after sunset. No, because mm. it suppresses their melatonin. And that other thing about the green movement is we now have LEDs which have high levels of blue light. Yeah. So our houses are suppressing our ability to sleep in the name of the green movement. This is another thing where I take the, the oomph out of the green movement in my book because it's coming in the opposite direction to human health. Yeah. And and so what are your favourite light bulbs? Are there any light bulbs that are good for the environment at the moment that don't emit high amounts of blue light? You're, well, there's a page in my book, uh, incandescent lighting is the best and you can't get any more because it's illegal. Mm. It says it all. Yeah. Designing homes that enable, that aren't too deep, that enable natural light to come in just makes sense. You know, mm. rather than big open plan homes, I mean, I do like the open plan, but you need windows to be able to have natural light so you don't have to turn it on. There are some LEDs that are useful that have full spectrum lighting that you, they don't have this blue light influence towards it. Um, I have carbon lights at home. They're quite useful. Um, but really it's especially the digital devices because it's closer to their um, mm. exposure. That's why it's important they're not on those devices. Um you know, to that suppresses their melatonin. Yep. Yeah. And there are so many great blue blocker glasses for people who work. Yeah. I mean, I normally have mine on, actually. I forgot to put them on before we jumped on today, but I've got my daylight ones for the computer um, and uh, and um, the more orangey ones as you go into the night if I have to work at night. Um, but even then I'm trying to reduce that. It's a really interesting thing to um, to be in the education and dissemination of education space uh, and using all the benefits of being able to connect through technology and mass distribute really important information but at the same time know that that is also perpetuating a um, communal um, encouragement to be on technology more. Yes. I, I struggle with that but, uh, but you know, any ideas out there, anybody, I think uh, it's a conversation we all need to keep having. Nicole, thank you so much. Uh, we have gone way over time. As usual, there's always so much to say. I really, really appreciate you. Uh, and the incredible work you do, the incredible work you do to educate others who then educate others. Uh, you know, this is how we need to do this to get it all out there. Um, we've got all the details on how people can connect to your work. Um, but my final question to you is, is how's the PhD going? <laughs> <laughs> for anyone who's not watching us on YouTube, she just put her head in her hands. I put my head in my hands, yep. So I'm in the process of recruiting healthy adults who sleep well in Melbourne. So if you're one of those, let me know. See, so she's having trouble because we're so damn unhealthy. <laughs> this is the problem. Okay, cool. I will put the word out in the newsletter as well just in case people don't listen to the show um, uh, super soon. And uh, what's the deadline that they need because someone might hear this in six months and get in touch with you and it'd be too yeah. late? So, so look, definitely by the end of August, I need to know. August 2019, done. Yep. All right. Thank you. Good luck with your PhD and, uh, and everything else. Please don't retire yet. You're not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Alex. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you inspire you to take community action. And there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.